0: What the world needs is men and women who trust Jesus and then do the things that he invites us to do in faith in the world. Uh, Men and women who receive the gift of faith and then support it with simple acts of goodness. That's what the world needs. Last night, I was driving home from Virginia. I was in the middle of a seven-hour drive and I was listening to the radio. A Prairie Home Companion was interrupted And the the commentator said, this is a special report from the BBC. And I said out loud, no. And then another terrorist attack in London. And as I listened, a thought occurred to me, which has been occurring to me with frequency over the last few months, the thought being, what difference does any of this make? I'm going to go tomorrow morning and stand up in summit, and I'm going to give my little message about what the world needs, and someone's going to do this again. Has anyone else thought that ever? The problems are just too great. The trouble's too much. I mean, this is not a, a happy thing to think, but I'm telling you honestly, it did strike me yesterday, as it has uh, repeatedly in the past. Uh, then I went to bed last night thinking that, I woke up very early this morning with a different thought in my mind. Uh, I I remembered my high school physics class and my teacher, Ed Bechtel, who was a great teacher. He's the reason that I went on to study physics. He told us as students that often when we tried to solve equations in physics, that the variables would be so difficult to discover that we would be tempted to think it's a problem that can't be solved. Uh, For some of us, science and physics has always been a problem which will never be solved. (laughs) But I was aspiring to be a physicist. And what he told me was that when you face a problem that has many variables, you will be tempted to give all of your attention and energy to the two that are the hardest to figure out, the ones that you can't do anything about. And when you do that, I promise you, you'll never solve the problem. But instead, what you should do is you should pay attention to the variables which you can figure out. There will always be variables which you can actually discover, and once you begin to do that, then you'll know what to do with the other ones. Now, that advice is excellent advice for physics. It's also excellent advice for life because all of us will find ourselves facing problems which are simply too much for us to know what to do with. In our personal lives and in our world. And last night, as I was tempted with the thought that I can't do anything about the terrorist in England, third time in three months, or the person who's going to blow up a truck in Afghanistan, or this horrendous act of violence that will happen in North Africa, or even the things that will unfold in our own country, well, I think that I'm very tempted to make the mistake that my physics teacher taught me not to make. And, And so I'm going to ask you with me this morning to choose to set aside the variables that we can't figure out. And not just this morning, but I think this is a good approach for Christians. It would be quite a loss for the world if we all bought the lie that we can't do anything. Because the truth is, while there are some variables that we cannot figure out, there are still very good things which we can do. You can actually be a person who stands up for justice right where you find yourself, you can. You can be a person who walks the path that is right rather than the path that is wrong. And you can do this every day at home and at work, at school, wherever you find yourself, you can actually do that. You can, you can be a person who acts with love in the world wherever you find yourself and it is a total lie that that won't make a difference, because it will. It makes a major difference. When we learn to follow the paths which God has set before us, when we learn to value the things that he invites us to value, then I'm telling you what happens is God uses us to make the difference in the world that the world needs. Uh, We've been together on this theme, What the World Needs, only for a few weeks. But already we've heard Peter, one of Jesus' friends, teach us, That if we will work at it, then we will see God using our faith in such a way that it is effective, that it makes a difference for us personally. And you need that. I know you do. That's why you're here. And not only for you, but you'll also see your faith become fruitful in the world. That is, what you believe will make a difference in the world. You need that too. That's why you're here. And you're in the right place. The world needs it. But what Peter shows us quite plainly is that if we just sit back and expect things to change, then we will be disappointed. On the other hand, if we will apply ourselves, if we will work at it, we will see God use our faith to change the world. Uh, He says it so plainly in the text with which we began a few weeks ago. If you would look with me now at 2 Peter verse 5, after, after describing to the group of people that he writes to that they have been given everything they need from God to have life, and have life, a life which is godly, that is to have an impact on the world which is good, after telling them that, which I can say about, about you with confidence, you've got everything you need from God. After telling them that, he says in verse five, for this very reason, uh, that is because you've got everything you need to do the good that you alone can do. You must make every effort to support your faith with goodness. And this is what we talked about last week the acts of goodness that will actually support your faith. And then he goes on to say, end your goodness with knowledge. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. When Peter says you must make every effort, what he means to teach us is that here is the thing which you should value most highly. Here's the, the, the virtue which you should work at getting. You should do everything within your power to acquire this thing because this thing, knowledge, knowledge, Of God, And that's what Peter means here. Not knowledge in general, but knowing God. Peter's telling us this is one of those things which you should choose to value most highly and because of that, give yourself to getting it. Do you know how to figure out what you really value most highly? Now, I don't mean what you say you value most highly, but what you really do. Here it is. Pay attention to the metrics which you use to compare yourself with others and that will show you what you really value most. Aha. When you're sitting next to someone and you're trying to size them up and see how you compare to them, are you better or worse? What's the thing in your mind which you use to measure that value in you? Uh, it might be hard to see as, as adults because we've learned to not pay attention to this, but do you remember when you were a kid at school, who the most popular kids were? Uh, for me, it was the kids who were most athletic, the kids who wore the nicest clothes. Uh, back then, it was parachute pants, <laughs> right, and fat laces, and could you break dance? all of that. When you think of your own self, what are the things which you use in your own mind to to take pride in yourself and feel like you're you're actually a success? There are lots of things we use. It might be the success of your kids. How do they compare to the other kids, their behavior or their achievements? It might be your own career success, the power that you have in your job. It could be as simple as your possessions. How much wealth have you amassed for yourself? Or how strong are you? How good do you look compared to the people around you? How fit are you? How strong are you? All of these things are the things that we use. Here, Peter says, make every effort to support your faith with these things. And what he means is, here are the things which you should choose to put the highest value in. Here are the things which you ought to use to measure how you're doing. They're virtues, goodness, knowledge of God, When Peter says this, he says it for a very definite reason. And here's the heart of what I want you to see today. All of the good things you can have are relative in their goodness. Beneath them all, like a foundation is beneath a house, is the goodness of knowing truly who God is. Because the truth about knowledge of God is that when you have the wrong ideas about God, you are dangerous to yourself and the world. And on the other hand, when you have the truth about God, you are free For yourself and for the world to be the good that the world needs. And this is why Peter says you must work at supporting your goodness with knowledge of God. And he doesn't come up with this idea himself. It is in the tradition of God's people for generations. Those of you who know the scriptures well will know that one of the themes we meet over and over again is the high value of knowing God. The high value of having accurate information about who God is as opposed to having all kinds of misguided ideas about who God is. There's one place in particular in the book of Jeremiah that I want to take you to now where this theme is put very clearly and in a way that's challenging back then, but also today, and in a way that will guide us as we consider the virtue of knowledge as a support for our goodness. Uh, This passage is in Jeremiah 9. Here the prophet speaks for God, and in verse 23 uh, makes a very uh, significant um, challenge to us. Here, here's what it says in verse 23. Uh, follow along with me. Thus says the Lord, do not let the wise boast in their wisdom. Do not let the mighty boast in their might. Do not let the wealthy boast in their wealth. Three things which the prophet lifts, which turn out to be the most Prominent ways people in his own day establish their worth in relationship to others. The things which they boast about. Their intelligence, their strength, and their wealth. Now, these words were written a long, long time ago, but they sound like they could have been written today, don't you think? Isn't it true that men take pride in how smart they are compared to others? And not just men, but kids in your school. Doesn't class rank mean something? The smarter you are, the more valuable you are. Men take pride in their strength, their physical strength, but also the power that they have in their positions, whether in their families or amongst their friends or in their work or in their careers. It is true that men take pride in their power. And then thirdly, men take pride in their wealth and their riches. That's not true today anymore, is it? Not around here at least, right? There is nothing wrong with being smart and being strong and being wealthy. Please understand this. Jeremiah is not saying, God says don't be those things. What he's saying is, do not let those people who possess those qualities take pride in them. And by that he means, do not let them believe, even for a second, that those are the most valuable things. Do not let them go on thinking That because they have these three, they are secure and they are set. Because the truth about all three of them is that even as they can be extremely good, they can also be extremely bad. It depends on the foundation which is beneath them or not. Do you know what I mean? Intelligence can be used for creating very good things and also very destructive things. Strength can be used to lift those who are weak and help others. It can also be used to push them down. You know this, right? Money is a gift that can be used for tremendous goodness in the world, but it also is a root of all kinds of evil. That's a passage from the Bible. Have you ever read anything so true as that? Just look at the world around us. All three of these things, which in themselves are good, become, they become a source of misguided effort unless there is one thing which is beneath all of them. It's the thing which Peter tells us is a virtue which we must strive at if our goodness is going to be effective. And it is in verse 24, look at what he says. But let those who boast, boast in this, that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord. Here, through the prophet, God says, here is something for you to legitimately take pride in. Here is something which is a value that is greater than all of the riches and all of the intelligence and all of the power that you can ever have. Here is a goal which is worth giving your entire self to acquire. Here it is. You ready? It is that you would come to know me and understand me. And here, listen now, God is speaking about cognitive knowledge about him. It is important, of course, for us to grow if we are truly followers of Christ, for us to grow to know Christ and to know God as a friend knows another friend. And that is true. But here the prophet tells us it is, it is critical if our wealth and if our strength and if our intelligence is going to be used for good in the world, that beneath all three is a value which is even greater, and that is that we would know about God, know the truth about God. And there is a very definite reason why the prophet says this. And I want to dwell on this for a bit. There's a reason why Jeremiah says, it is the knowledge of God that is critical. And here it is. Because wrong ideas about God are terribly dangerous for you and for the world, just as right ideas about God are good for you and for the world. Uh, Let's take each one of those and, and stay here for a bit. Okay, this urging that we make every effort to acquire knowledge is based on this very simple fact. That is that there are dangers of unreliable knowledge when it comes to God. Now, let me start with the dangers for you personally. Okay, I, have been, I have been working with people as a pastor for over 20 years now, 23 years. I can't believe it. But when I think back on it, do you know that one of the consistent threads that I've seen is that men and women at the root of their suffering often sits the wrong idea about who God is. Uh, I'll give you an example. I've known a thousand people who believe that God is distant and is unconcerned with them personally. And believing this, they've missed every little joy of God's presence there in their lives at every step. In the gift of friendship, in the gift of a good meal, in laughter and in the, the sunset and the wind and the leaves, believing that God is distant has robbed them of all of the gifts of their good and heavenly father. And the problem at the heart of that loss is the wrong idea about God because God is not distant. Does someone in here know that he's close? Worst of all is the person who believes this and then finds life unmanageable because of anxiety and difficulties coming from the outside, And then they have to face those challenges as if they are alone when they're not. And so day after day, they walk with the miserable burden of trying to carry their grief by themselves, missing all the while the truth that God is near to the brokenhearted and ready to lift up those who are having a time that is just too much for them. And the problem at the heart of it is unreliable knowledge about God is dangerous for you. And that's just one way. Have you ever seen that? I gather that some of you suffer from believing that. You're wrong if you think He's far. Here's another one. I've seen many, many people labor under the belief that when it comes to God's love, you can have it as long as you have earned it. That is the belief that as long as I manage myself well and get my life in order, then God will love me. But as soon as I start making mistakes or I struggle with that old addiction, or I make that mistake again, then I'm outside of God's love and he has nothing to do with me until I get myself back in line. I tell you, that is a belief about God that wreaks havoc on the souls of men and women, always. It keeps them perpetually anxious always ashamed, always hiding their mistakes from the divine. And if anyone who believes that manages to get themselves to a place where they believe that because of their performance, they've earned God's love, do you know that they receive no joy at all from any of God's gifts because they experience every one of them as if it's something that they themselves have earned. So their relationship with God becomes like a job. And every good gift from their heavenly father is like a paycheck. And what's the joy in that? And you know how they begin to treat the people around them who are also trying to follow Jesus? Do you know? They'll be judgmental, and they'll think it's their job to point out everyone else's fault. And as miserable as it is to be treated by someone like that, trust me, it's worse to be someone like that. The truth about unreliable knowledge about God is it's dangerous for you personally. I could go on and on about how it affects you, but listen, here's the second thing that you must know. Unreliable knowledge about God is dangerous for the world. Every time you hear a news story about a man who blew himself up in a crowd or drives a car onto the sidewalk to run people over or packs a truck with explosives and goes into a crowded square to detonate or sends a bomb into a a gathering where people are worshiping, I'm telling you, behind every one of those barbaric atrocities is a particular understanding of the nature and being of God, which is entirely wrong. Do you know that? I want to make that as clear as I can. The truth about the wickedness that people uh, mete out upon each other in our world today is at the root of it is an understanding of God, which all of us are meant to say an emphatic no to because it's wrong. And it's not just, listen, it's not just other religions that struggle with this. I want to be clear here. In our own history as followers of Christ, there have been times where the Christian church has twisted the truth about God and used lies about him to stand behind their own acts of barbarism. The German Christian movement, which killed Jews in the name of Christ, was one such example. Uh, As was slavery in our own land. The twisting of ideas about God to ruin the world around us. I want to tell you, It is so clear to me that one of the most critical uh, needs in our world right now is that at last we would get the right ideas about God for the world's sake. Because when you and I get the right ideas about God, not only does it change us here, but listen now, then you and I become the good which the world needs. And when we have the wrong idea about God, it is dangerous for the world because we go on believing that the only people that God cares about are us. Do you know that? I'm not getting a cheerful response from you. This is a heavy message, maybe? It's time for us to be clear about this. The world needs us to be clear about this. As long as we think that God only cares about us, that's bad for the world. Because God does not only care about us, he cares about every single man and woman who's ever been created. He does. And listen now, I want to tell you that just as there are dangers of unreliable knowledge about God, on the other hand, there are benefits to reliable knowledge that are so good that we've barely begun to see it. And I believe that emphatically because when we see how messed up the world is and we begin to believe that it's a problem which is too difficult for us to solve, when we get our eyes set on all of the troubles, then we forget all of the things which we can actually do something about. And as I said at the beginning, you can act with justice and righteousness and love in the world. And when you do, then you put to work the benefits of reliable knowledge about God. Let me start with you. Listen, when you have the right idea about God, you know that you don't need to waste any more energy trying to be good enough to earn God's love. You are done comparing yourself with others. You couldn't care less how you measure up. You no longer worry about all of the failures in your past because you know by God's grace they've been taken away. You're utterly free to trust that every step you take in obedience to the God who's already decided to love you more than you could ever ask or imagine, he will be right there to support you at every step. You're not gonna be anxious any longer about how am I gonna make this happen because you trust and believe that God has given you all the power you need. And when you believe that in your heart, then you are ready to turn To the world around you with the love of God in Christ in a way that is like light in darkness, in a way that is like water in the desert, in a way that is like food to a starving person, in a way that is like love in a loveless world. When you have the right ideas about God, you look at yourself and what you say, first of all, is, God loves me and I can't believe it, but I'm so grateful I want to love others. And then you're free. You're free to be the goodness of God in the world. And this is the other side of it. Listen, it's not just good for you when you have the right ideas about God. It's so good for the world. Because even though you can't go and change what happened over there, you can, on this very day, move forward differently in the world where you find yourself in a way that is a blessing and that is good. What will happen if you do this? Can we admit that being good in the world today, even in our own country, might get you killed? Do you know that story in Portland? Can we be brave enough to say, so be it? Can we? And I'm asking something very big of us, but would we do it? Would we be willing to say, if being good in the world, as I follow and trust Jesus, gets me killed, okay. Can we say that? That's what Jesus said. I mean, he said that if I do the will of the Father and I die for it, I'll do it. And he did that and he rescued not just you, and me, but the world, and I think what the world needs now is men and women who are ready to believe the right things about God, to leave behind childish ideas about God that God's just for us, or that all God cares about is whether we say this prayer so that we go to heaven when we die rather than go to hell. I think it's okay to leave those things beside and ask the question, Who really is this God that we meet in Jesus? and then apply ourselves as Peter urges us to, to make every effort to know God and then gathering reliable information about him, get about trusting him and live in the world so that we become the change which the world needs. I want us to be this. And so where will we get the knowledge? Look, come back with me now to Jeremiah. And not only did Jeremiah say that you should not uh, trust in your riches and your strength and your money, but instead in, in knowing God, he tells us, Uh, God Himself tells us who He is through Jeremiah. And this is in the second half of verse 24. Get this? Because this is like like the highlights of what you need to know about God if you're going to know about God. Okay, here it is. Verse 24 I act with steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. Here are three descriptive statements about how God acts in the world. And all three of them are like the most important things which you must grasp if you're going to know about God. And we can take our time with each one of them. All of us can do this in such a way that we will receive reliable information about what God is like that will become a support for our goodness in a way that makes us what the world needs. I want to take them in reverse order. Righteousness. Uh, You've heard this word if you've been in church at all. Righteousness. It is often presented in a way, I think, that is not exactly related to what it means when it's described as the virtue which with God acts in the world. The root, the Hebrew root of the word righteous is the word straight as opposed to crooked. And this means that the way that God acts in the world is straight rather than crooked. Think about this for a minute. Think about all of the crooked ways people deceive one another. Think about all the crooked ways that people take advantage of each other's weakness. Think about all the crooked things that we do because we're afraid of others, or we don't care about them, or we think they're not valuable. Imagine all of those, and here we hear with crystal clarity that if you want to know about God, you have to know that God is always the one who, who is straight. He never operates in a crooked way, ever. And in the Hebrew Scriptures, it's painted with a lot of concreteness what this actually means. God refuses to be crooked in his dealings like the vendor who puts false weights and measurements on his scales so that he can steal from the person who buys from him. That's a a specific example uh, from the prophets about that God is not unrighteous like that. Or God is righteous by, listen to this, grabbing a hold of a blind man's hand so he can lead him on the way. That's what righteousness looks like. Or God is righteous by caring for the widow and providing for her needs. Or rescuing the orphan who doesn't have parents, bringing that orphan in and caring for him, caring for her. That's what righteousness is. And if you want to know about God, you have to know that that's how God has chosen to act in the world. Because every single person matters to God. Here's a second one, justice. Uh, The the root word here is the word for governance. Uh, In mind uh, of of the writer who says, God is just is the governance of all of creation. That is the oversight in in a judicial sense and in a legislative sense uh, and in in an overall uh, keeping things in order sense that characterizes God's way in the world. God is just insofar as he is always fair and equitable and refuses to engage in deception. God hates it when strong people oppress the weak because he is for the truth and for what is right in every situation. That's who God is. A picture, a courtroom. And imagine the judge there on the bench. That judge is responsible for assessing a case where there uh, have been some kinds of events that have unfolded and applying the law to, to those events and those circumstances in a fair and in an equitable way. Imagine now, if you would, that you're a person who's involved in this case. You know what you want from that judge, don't you? You want the judge to be just. You want that judge to refuse to take a bribe. You want that just to re- judge to, to refuse to, to rule in favor of the person who's richer or who's stronger, but instead to be fair and equitable. That's what God is like. He is just. I've taken these in reverse order because the first of these three is quite clearly the most important of all three and, listen now, the most unique in terms of the God that we meet when we come to Scripture when compared with all of the other gods that people believe in in the world. The central characteristic of who God is besides justice and righteousness is that God acts with steadfast love in the earth. Uh, This is a beautiful image. In Hebrew, it's the word chesed. It's used over and over to describe God and it is quite jarring because it doesn't first of all look like what many of us imagine when we think of God. Would you picture a father who is teaching his child to walk and imagine the delight and joy in that father's eyes when the child begins to take his first steps and then when the child falls, the impulse of the father is to reach out and lift and help or imagine a mother who has an infant who is hungry, and the cry of that child goes right into her heart, and so she lifts that child to her breast and tenderly feeds that child from her own body. That is what chesed looks like. And that is who God is. God is steadfast love. Every, every piece of God's creation, every man and every woman, every child, Every bit of the world that God has made is the object of God's love. And if we want to know anything reliable about God, we have to know that he acts with steadfast love. And that simply means when another needs help, God is right there to come and give the help which is needed because that's who God is. And if we want Listen now, if we want our goodness to be supported so that our faith makes a difference in the world, the most important and critical value that we can have, the thing which will support it like a foundation beneath the house is reliable knowledge about who God is. God is just, God is righteous, God is steadfast love. And I know, listen, I know that some of you might be thinking, yes, I've always wanted to grow more and more in my knowledge of God. I'm glad for these three. Help me know where else to look. Um, You're in luck. You see these cards here. Did anyone get one on the way in? I hope every one of you takes one on the way out. A clay put together on the back seven places in scripture where like this passage in Jeremiah, you can find reliable information about what God is like, how God is faithful, how God is compassionate, loving, forgiving, just, gracious, and and a keeper of his promises. Take this and this week, read one each day and dwell on it. Because listen now, I I wanna close with this. I know that a lot of you are going to be tempted to believe that the problem out there is just too complex. It is, and I can't do anything about it. And, and like my own heart, when those ugly things happen out there, you're going to be tempted to think, I can't make any difference. But I want you to look at this now. Look at the way Jeremiah closes this passage after telling us not to value these things, but this. He tells us from God himself, for in these things I delight says the Lord. That is both a statement about God and about you. It tells us that God's heart delights in justice and righteousness and steadfast love in the world. And it tells us that that is exactly what God has made us for, to be men and women who act with justice and righteousness and steadfast love in the world. And I know you're gonna believe that you can't do it, but I promise you that you can. I'm telling you now that every single one of us in here has been given by God everything we need to do just that in the world. And I'm telling you that when we do, it will become what the world needs. And you can do it if you're an adult and you can do it if you're a child too. And I'm, I'm telling you that especially because I've seen it myself in my own children in ways that are astounding and moving. Now listen, in 2001, in March, it was Easter, I had just come through one of the most difficult passages of my life. I was in New York City with my oldest son. Duran is his name. He was four years old at the time. I had just gone through a divorce. And my friends, Vito and Monique, who many of you have met here, they knew that a dad of a four-year-old shouldn't be all alone on Easter. And they invited me and I happened to have Duran. And so they put together an Easter basket for him. I watched as my son searched in the alleyway between their house in Brooklyn for his Easter basket. It was odd. It's an odd place for an Easter basket search. (laughs) But this in itself was a simple act of of justice and righteousness and steadfast love on their part. At lunch, my son wouldn't eat his, his food, and he kept looking at the Easter basket. And I was really trying to be a good dad. And so I told him, you can't eat your candy unless you eat your entire lunch. And he said, my stomach hurts, and so he didn't eat anything. And when we left, I carried the Easter basket as we made our way to the subway. Now, my son at that age loved the subway. We got on, and he watched every time the door opened and people got on. At the third stop, there was something really ugly that happened. As the doors opened, a little girl got on, and she couldn't have been any older than my son. She was probably four. And she was standing by herself like this, And then a hand came in behind her and it smacked her on the back of the head. And then a woman stepped up and said, I should have left you at the last stop. And everybody on the train got dead silent. And the poor little girl walked over and sat down and she was holding in her tears. And then her mom sat next to her and said, looking right at her, you are worthless. And again, all of the adults in the train kept their eyes down because all of us believed this is a problem which is too much for any of us to do anything about it. We rode along really uncomfortable in silence until my son said to me, Dad, can I have my Easter basket? And I said, no, Duran, you can't because you didn't eat your lunch. And then he said, I don't want it for me. I want to give it to that girl. And he said it loud enough so everybody could hear it. And so I put it in his hands and he stood up and he walked it over and he put it right on her lap. And that's what the world needs. It needs us to stop only paying attention to what we can't do and to just look at the simple things that we can do and then to do it. To act with justice, because it's unjust when parents are mean to their kids like that. To walk in righteousness, because it is a righteous thing to look at what you have and stop thinking about yourself and give it to somebody else. And to act with steadfast love. Listen, because love is stronger than hate. Even even if it gets you killed, it's stronger, because there will be no end to love. It is eternal. So let's pray together. God I thank you for the ways that your righteousness and your justice and your steadfast love comes into the world through unexpected means. I thank you for that memory and for the vision that I got to experience as my son did that act of kindness. God, I know that I've been tempted many times this week to think that there's nothing that can be done given how miserable things are. God, would you please protect me and all of us from that lie? And help us see that you've given us everything we need for a life that is godly. And then, God, protect us from being lazy. Help us be ready to get to work at goodness which is supported by knowledge of you which is true. I know you've given us everything we need to know you. I pray that we would make use of it. Help us spend time this week in your word, understanding who you are. And help us grow as we apply ourselves to learning about you. And then, God, use our knowledge of you to spurn us on to acts of righteousness and justice and love in the world. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for the sake of the world, which we trust and believe that you loved so much that you gave your only Son for the whole world. In Jesus' name we pray.